Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, it is wonderful to be here. Uh, 20 years ago this summer, I started following Jesus properly and then did what every real Christian does immediately after they did that and moved to Lurgan. Um, and uh, lived here for about a year uh, whilst working with Youth for Christ. And um, I said this in the 9.30, but I think it's important for, for you guys to hear that um, so much of who I am and what I'm doing has been shaped by what you have contended for uh, over a long, long period of time. And uh, I'm so grateful that this church and those who lead it have given their lives to build launch pads for so many other people. And so much of that never gets measured. And so much of that never gets uh Thanks, and I want to just start by saying how grateful I am for uh, what this community represents and certainly how much it has impact, uh, impacted me. So I'm re- really grateful. Before we open the scriptures together, I, uh, I just want to talk about Nua for just a second. I know you're probably all um, fed up hearing about Nua, but do you know one of the things that I've noticed as I think about 20 years of following Jesus is one of the things that kind of scares me about God a little bit is that sometimes the most important things that he's doing or saying are the easiest things to miss. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish every time God wanted to do something really significant in my life or community that he would send some kind of chariot on fire from sky and we would go, oh, that's obviously God talking. I better reorder my entire life because that massive thing is happening and now I'm convinced. And the reality is, certainly in my life, the opposite is true, that some of the things that have had, in hindsight, the most profound effects on me were the easiest things at the time to miss. And I actually feel like Nua falls a little bit into that category, that uh, it would be dead easy to think, ah, it's just another thing. It's just another event. It's just another space for worship and teaching and um, and it's certainly not the only thing the Lord is doing around Ireland, but I am convinced it's a really, really significant thing. Uh, in March just past, um, I was speaking at the opening of Belfast City Vineyard's new building. Um, they bought, uh, I think about 18 months ago, they bought Cave Hill Methodist Church. And the beginning of that journey was actually right here on this uh, platform at a Tabar conference several years ago. Pete Gregg was here, Andy Smith, who leads the vineyard in Ireland, was here. Heather Morris, who was the then president of the Methodist Church, was here. And Pete got Heather and Andy up and said, I think God's doing something with you guys. And the first fruits, the first tangible fruits of that, uh, we were celebrating in March. And uh, we gathered in what used to be Cave Hill Methodist, what is now Belfast City Vineyard, um, and gathered in the room uh, were all of the local Presbyterian ministers, um, all of the local Anglican ministers, um, loads of us from the vineyard. Uh, There was uh, representatives from the Methodist Church. And there were four priests from Clonard Monastery who all gathered to worship Jesus together and celebrate what he was doing through the community of Belfast City Vineyard. And I couldn't help but think, gosh, 10 years ago, I don't think there's any way this would have happened. Something, something is changing. Something is Something's happening. Something's different. The next day, um, I flew to Portugal. I was doing some work with some uh, 
leaders in Portugal from all over the world. There's probably about 30, 30 or 40 that have been uh, doing things together um, for 30 or 40 years. And on Thursday afternoon, they were reflecting a little bit on the last kind of 10 or 15 years. And this little lady in the corner stood up with tears in her eyes. And she said, you know, folks, I feel like I need to repent for some of the attitudes I've held towards you in my heart in the past. And I remember thinking, I'm just sitting at the back of the room watching this, and I remember thinking, gosh, that's a bit awkward. <laughs> it was nothing to do with what they were talking about, um, didn't seem related at all. And uh, then somebody else stood up and said, guys, I feel like I need to repent because there are things I've said about people in this room, the people outside of this room, that weren't honoring and weren't right. And, and I'm so sorry. And almost spontaneously, this started to bounce around the room. And the emotion rose as people were weeping and repenting and praying for each other and uh, committing to love each other better and all those sorts of things. And, and I, I couldn't help think about the night before in that room in Belfast and now I'm in this room in Portugal. And this just profound sense of preferring others. And the thing that I, I feel like, I sense anyway, that the Lord is doing at the moment is uh, there's something happening that is um, uniting hearts, not just actually here, but around the world where uh, division and difference is being moved kind of beyond or past. This is really, really important because I don't think God is dissolving our distinctives. This isn't about Emmanuel stopping to be Emmanuel or the vineyard stopping to be the vineyard or whatever other label uh, you want uh, to use, but it is about us in the presence of our differences learning to see the face of God in each other. And that is a significant thing. And that is genuinely a new thing. And one of the things that happens or will happen uh, next Sunday night as we celebrate Pentecost and uh, as we gather for Nua, is an environment that can hold or allow us to be exposed, as maybe better language, to something that God is doing across the land at the moment. This is not the only place that He's doing it, but it is a chance for us to be part of an expression of it. If you haven't uh, got your ticket for new. This isn't a sales pitch because actually my life is easier if we close the tickets tomorrow and we don't bring any more people. Um, but our, our commitment, Al, Neil, and me, as we've kind of journeyed this in prayer for three or four years now, is that, that new would be an expression of something that God is doing across the land. And we get to gather together to celebrate that. And so we'd love you to join us um, uh, for, for the weekend. If you can't make the weekend, you can come just for the Sunday. It's free, but you do still need to register for that because uh, we need to know how many of you are coming for all sorts of health and safety reasons. But we would love you, uh, we would love you to join us to not miss out on um, some of what Jesus is doing in our time that I think would be easy to dismiss or, or miss. Um, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to um, be looking at a really um, famous passage. Many of you in the room will, will know it. But I want to um, I want to talk for the rest of our time about who's qualified. Who's who's qualified? That if, if God, maybe this is a fun question, if God was picking his A team, 
right? For the furthering of the kingdom of God on earth, how many of you would be in it? Okay, that's why I'm here. Um, so, so I wonder, maybe this is, a, this is a, maybe a better question. What would have to be happening in your life for you to think that you would be in the A-team? Like, what, what does God's A-team look like? How does God's A-team behave? Because, you know, we're, we're good, uh, I hope, Bible-believing followers of Jesus. And so our hesitancy to think we would be on that team says an awful lot about what you think of yourself and perhaps even more what you think about God. Who's qualified? I used to have this uh, funny little habit where I was like convinced that God was at work in the world. I was convinced God was actually changing the world. I was convinced to my bones that God was raising people up to further his kingdom in the most profound ways in every section of society and corner of culture and business and arts and church leadership and all those sorts of things. I just didn't feel I was quite good enough. I don't know if you've ever been around those kinds of people that they kind of feel like every time they sneeze, someone comes to the Lord or a miracle happens. I'm not really one of those people. I don't have those kind of stories, or not too many anyway, of like, you know, where you get on a train to go somewhere and try to ignore people and somehow end up finding out their life story and leading them to the Lord. That's not really my life. My wife actually is very like that. And uh, she, she spends all her time trying to avoid people in public. I don't quite know how it works. I spend my time in public looking for people who seem open. And she puts these like air traffic controller headphones on and somehow people interrupt her and end up sharing their lives with her and all that sort of stuff. I did have a moment though once in, I used to live in Los Angeles and I was in downtown LA one time and I was in a coffee shop and um, this guy walked in in a three-piece suit, which was really not normal, right? And uh, he ordered his coffee and he sat at a little table and he pulled out of his, uh, out of his bag this kind of pristine box, not very big, and it was like gold gilded and all sorts of stuff and looked like it had never been opened before. And he opened this box and out of it he pulled a Bible that was just, I mean, I thought, goodness me, where do you even go to get a Bible like that? It was amazing. It looked like it had never been read. And then I'm like ordering my coffee and I'm thinking, I know exactly what's happening here. Somebody has bought this man a Bible and he snuck out of some really important job at lunchtime to try and read it. But of course, there's no way he has a clue what's kind of going on there. So I don't know, some of you will know the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, where this guy ends up walking beside a chariot, and there's this really important guy in the chariot who's reading the scripture. And Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the guy says to him, well, how could I know if nobody explains it to me? And so he, Philip says, well, I can explain to you. And he gets invited up into the chariot, and he explains the gospel to him, leads him to the Lord, and then baptizes him, and then gets teleported off somewhere else. Mad. It's a crazy mad story. But here's me in downtown LA thinking, this is, this is obviously what's happening right now. Like, this is it. This guy's obviously never read this Bible before. It's brand new. He looks like, you know, not the kind of people I see in church. So I should maybe walk over and ask him if he understands what he's reading. I was a bit intimidated, and so I kind of thought, no, that's a daft idea. I'll not bother. But eventually, I kind of kept looking, and I don't know, sometimes you have these things you feel like the Lord's saying to you. So I thought, no, I've just got to do it. So I walked over to the guy, and I said, excuse me, um, I couldn't help but notice you're reading, reading the Bible there. And he kind of looked at me as shocked as you would be if someone randomly walked up to you in a coffee shop. And I said, I just wondered, uh, do, you, do, you, do you understand what you're reading? And he said something back to me that I wasn't prepared for. 
He said, I think so. And I thought, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't thought this far ahead. <laughs> so then I went to the next question that you ask someone when you meet them for the first time and you don't know them that well and you're not sure what to say. I said, uh, so what do you do? And he said, I'm uh, doing a PhD in theology at the local seminary. <laughs> and I sat down beside him and said, can you explain to me what you're reading? Um, guys, those stories are kind of normal for me. Like the stories where it doesn't quite work out, doesn't quite seem like God was all over that. And the result, at least used to be, was that I therefore felt like I wasn't really qualified. That the people who have the opposite stories, they're the kind of people that Jesus invites to be a part of his thing. And I have loads of faith for them, but it's just not really going to be my life. And a few years ago, God really started to challenge me on that and um, started to ask me a question that, if I'm really honest with you, it scared the life out of me. Andy, what if I want to do something in you that will change the world around you? What if I want to do something in you that's going to change the world around you? Not because you're like constantly running around trying to like manufacture something, but something that's going to grow out of what I have done inside of you. Who is qualified? Who gets to be involved in that kind of life? Matthew 28, verse 16, come Holy Spirit. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Father, we open ourselves to your voice. We humbly pray, come change us so we may better represent you in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who's qualified? How many crazy God stories do you need to have before you feel like you belong on God's A-team? This text is really familiar. Um, so familiar for many of us that it's lost its power. And we are no longer fascinated by it in any way. I love uh, the honesty of Matthew's record of this moment. When they see Jesus, some worship him and some doubt. Or another translation of the word doubt that you see there is the word hesitate. These guys have been following Jesus for years. They've seen all the miracles. They've been around for all of the teaching. They saw the scandal rise. They were there when the betrayal happened. They watched most likely the torture and the execution. They've then been witnesses to the resurrection. And Jesus sent them to this mountain to wait for him. And they're there and he appears. And some of them fall in front of him. King of kings, Lord of lords, risen Savior, we worship you. 
And some of them say, I'm not really sure what the right thing to do here is. Of course, these people aren't from Northern Ireland, but they sound like they are. Like, that's so us, I think. Like, we're kind of here, but we don't, we don't want to get this wrong. Like, we're just going to wait for a minute and see how this plays out. Let the kinos rush ahead. I'll just slip in and sit at the back. Is that too close to the bone? That's just our church. To be truthful with you, I, I really relate to the, the guys who hesitate. If I'm on that mountain, I'm probably in that camp. And what blows my mind is what Jesus does. Because if, if I was Jesus in that moment, and I'm about to launch a worldwide revolution that is going to be all about what I have said and done. And being able to be convinced that I am who I say I am is going to be pretty important to be able to further that purpose. So if I'm Jesus in that moment, I'm looking at the guys who get it, and I'm looking at the guys who don't, and I'm saying, right, fellas who are worshiping, stop worshiping for a second. I have some important things to say to you. See you guys over there that haven't quite figured things out yet? Just sit tight. I'm going to send one of these fellas over to explain what you need to do, how much prayer ministry you need to do, and what kind of course you need to go on, and then you can come and get involved in what I'm about to do. I mean, that would seem like the logical thing, but that's not what happens at all. It feels almost like Jesus completely ignores the fact that some of them are full of doubt. Like, it, it doesn't even get addressed. You see, when we think about the question, who, who is qualified? Faith is pretty high, I think, on, on that kind of list. So most of us go, I'm not in God's A-team because I, I have doubts. And if, if I didn't have doubts, then, then I'm sure possibly maybe something else I would need would come up with some other excuse. But if I, if I didn't have the doubts or the questions or the hesitation even that I have, then maybe I would be qualified to order my life around the plans and purposes of God, and maybe God would actually join in with me. But th that's not what happens. Jesus says to the fellows that are in worship, I see your faith. And he says to the fellows who are full of doubt, I see your doubt. And he says, none of that really matters because what I'm about to say, you will not believe. that he commissions those who are full of faith and those who are full of doubt equally. That blows my mind. Because most of us, I think, are caught up in trying to do something that God's not asking us to do. Like, if, if I could just figure out this doubt thing, then maybe I, I would be useful to God. I, I don't think... <laughs> Certainly, according to this passage, he's paying attention to that. He says, do you want to hear what I have to say? Just take your eyes off yourself for a second. Do you want to hear what I have to say? 
Those flat on their face in worship, those lost in an internal conflict of fear, doubt, and hesitancy, Jesus addresses them as one. I choose you. Come and be on my team. Some of you this morning need to hear that, that Jesus moves beyond your doubt or your hesitation and says, come on, come on. I have things for you to do. And we'll work on that stuff as, as we go. Their familiarity is blown away. And our familiarity with this passage and perhaps even with Jesus is blown away when we allow the intimate whisper of God to come into our hearts and say, I choose you. I choose you. How easy would it have been to make a case for why Jesus shouldn't or wouldn't call these men on this side of the mountain? And we don't have time to look at them all, but like Peter, who eventually becomes their kind of leader, like a week or so previous, could not associate himself publicly with Jesus. Now, if you're about to start the church of Jesus, I would assume you want to pick somebody who can associate themselves publicly with Jesus. Peter's qualified. You see, our qualification comes from Jesus, not from ourselves. That is so important. If Jesus qualifies you, you have no right to disqualify you. And if these blokes are anything to go by, perfect faithful records are not a requirement. Willingness to say yes and follow are all that matter. The past is the past. Will you follow me? That's all he says. In fact, I'm convinced our lack of confidence in ourselves qualifies us. Because it's our lack of confidence that postures our hearts properly to, oh Jesus, please help me. I don't want to necessarily go down a rabbit hole here, but we are seeing this the Western church over at the minute as leaders fall and as seemingly confidence in our own human strength is being exposed and judged. Believing that talent can build the church is being found out. Now, I'm for talent and gosh, you guys got some incredible talent here, but it's not enough and it's a bad strategy posturing our hearts with utter dependence on Jesus because we see ourselves clearly is what matters. God, I disqualify myself, but you qualify me, so I'm saying yes. God, I'm not sure, but you seem sure, so I'm saying yes. God, I'm full of doubt, but you seem full of faith, so I'm saying yes. That's what it looks like. Jesus moves past their confidence and their hesitation because neither matter when they hear what's coming next. All authority on, earth, on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. We kind of hear that like Bible language. And 
need someone possibly to help us fully unpack or understand what it meant. These guys didn't. When they see Jesus in this moment on this mountain say, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, they understand what that means. They remember the story from Matthew 4 when Jesus is tempted by Satan on the mountain. Jesus shows him everything and says, I'll give you all of this if you worship me. And rather than correcting Satan in that moment, who are you to give me all of that? Jesus simply says, away from me for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is offering him a place without a price. The tyranny of a hollow triumph, a cheap fake. It's been his strategy all along. There's an easier way to get there. Just come this way. It won't cost you as much, but it will remove you of any power. The risen Christ on this mountain, in this moment, is saying something entirely different. I have defeated tyranny itself. I have conquered Satan, sin, and death, and now all authority on heaven and on earth is mine. His is the authority under which God's new life can begin to flourish because he has conquered the unholy trinity of Satan, sin, and ultimately death. Jesus is saying that I am now king. That's how they hear that word. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. They hear him saying the kingdom has come. I am now ruling. Of course, not in its fullness, but it has begun. Without getting too technical this afternoon, this is fundamental theology. Jesus is ruling. His kingdom has come. The claim is that he is working now to take the world from where it was under the rule of Satan, sin, and death, every kind of greed, corruption, wickedness, and evil, and is bringing it under the rule of his life-giving love. What he's saying is the order of heaven is now invading the chaos of the world. This is the work that we are to be a part of. And here's the shocking part. How does the order of heaven invade the chaos of the world? What does that actually look like? What does that actually require? Ordinary people like you and me saying yes in the midst of hesitation and doubt. The project only goes forward so far as the people Jesus commissioned are willing to take it forward. I wish that weren't true. The transformation of your community requires you. The fulfillment of the purposes of God on earth requires you. This is the problem. Because when we ask the question, who's qualified or who's on God's A-team, we go, definitely not me. But the truth is, there is no B-team. This is what it looks like. Nudge the person beside you and say, it's looking good. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Or go and make all nations into disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And know this, I will be with you to the end of the age. Guys, we're so familiar with this text that it has lost any of its kind of mind-blowing 
profound power. These 11 nobodies are given the responsibility to go and make real in the world the authority which Jesus already has. Go and show the world what the order of my kingdom looks like here on earth. I am so convinced that we can't possibly wrap our heads around what this must have been like for these disciples gathered around Jesus. Some of us have heard these verses for decades. We can recite them, but these guys had never heard these words before. This is literally the first time anybody is hearing all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. They don't have theology for this. It's just a command. It's just an instruction. Go and do that. Now, this is what you need to understand. These guys are tax collectors, fishermen, a recovering terrorist. They have no passports. They've never left the country of their birth. Little kind of detour into Samaria for a minute or two which broke their brains. They don't even know probably what the world consists of or entails of. They have no idea. Some of you struggle with the idea of Jesus sending you to Lauren. Or put it down. <laughs> like this is mind-blowing. Like if you're one of these guys standing there I, I can only imagine Jesus gets the kind of head. The doubters are on their feet. The worshipers are on their feet. He says, lads, forget about your faith or your doubt. I have work for you to do. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I can imagine Peter nudging Matthew saying, you should write that down. That will be great in a gospel one day. Now go into the whole world and help them follow me. What? You want us to do what? Like, this is beyond impossible. It's beyond anything they think they could do in their lives. There's no chance, if you're asking any of them the question, here, boy, do you feel qualified for that? That they're answering yes. They are so out of their depth. They are beyond comprehension of their own capabilities. They're probably not even really sure what it means. Following Jesus and being commissioned to the impossible are one and the same thing. Following Jesus and being commissioned to the impossible are one and the same thing. It's like the opposite of how we're schooled in the culture we live around, which teaches us to partner with the possible. Just what's the next possible thing? Just, just do that. But following Jesus is the opposite. It's one of the reasons why we have a hard time hearing God, because we don't believe the things he says. That's not God. God would never ask me to do that. That's the sort of thing God asked Rick to do. I wonder what impossible things is God knocking on your heart for right now? In this season of your life, 
What are the things that you look at and think, I wish that would be different? I wish that would change. God raised somebody up to do something about that thing. It's a dangerous prayer. God smiles back and says, I'm ready when you are. We are commissioned to the impossible. This was such a normal thing for uh, these guys. They'd seen it so often. We'll not go through it all, but you know the stories. Jesus commissions them, sends them out, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. It's just an ordinary day in the life of a follower of Jesus. How do you even get qualified for that? Peter sees Jesus walking on water. Hey, if it's you, you ask me to come. All right, then, come on. And sure, he sinks after a minute or two, but he flipping walked on water. The life of a follower of Jesus is supposed to be marked by the impossible. Understanding what God's asking you to do is more important or is a first importance than understanding where God wants you to do. I used to do youth ministry, and when young people got really fired up for Jesus, that was always or often one of the first questions. Where does God want me to be? What does he want me to do? Like, should I go into business, or, you know, should I do teaching, or should I move to Africa, or what? what? Just if, if I just knew then I would do it. And the thing I used to often say is, well, those are important questions, but you need to settle the truth that he's asked you to live an impossible life first. That once you get the purpose, then the place makes sense. Because we want to focus on the place, but then we've, we've missed the purpose that wherever we are, the impossible is supposed to be flowing in our lives. Jesus sends these guys out to turn the world upside down. And that commission is as true this afternoon in this moment as it was on the side of that mountain in that moment. Following Jesus only makes sense when our lives are ordered around these things because following Jesus only makes sense when we are utterly dependent upon God. And the fastest way to a stale, bored faith is to let go of the commission to the impossible. We have confidence in the one who calls us, which provides confidence for the things that he's calling us to do. We are called to change the world. Please don't confuse that with being called to a world stage. A few years ago, um, I'm nearly finished. You'll be glad to know. A few years ago, our team started to pray for an opportunity to run an alpha course in one of our local high schools. That was like our, like our biggest cry was, God, we just would love to one school, one alpha course. Would you open a door? Would you provide an opportunity? And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And then we got an opportunity, and that opportunity led to another opportunity, led to another opportunity. This school year, we have ran 25 Alpha courses in local high schools, leading around 500 teenagers through Youth Alpha. And next year, we will do a minimum of 750 teenagers in class time during their curriculum. 
Like, that's extraordinary. We'll take 42 completely unchurched teenagers to a youth camp this summer in the middle of Ireland in August. Last year, we took 20. 19 of them gave their lives to Jesus. If you'd said to us three or four years ago when, when we were praying for one, just one, if you'd come and said, Andy, in less than four years, you'll be leading nearly a 1,000 teenagers through Youth Alpha in their class time. I would, I just no way I would have believed you. But do you see? That's not the point. Who's qualified? The one who says, yes, okay, Lord, I'm coming. Not the one who says, I'm convinced. Just the one who says, okay, Lord, I'm coming. My life with Jesus over the last 20 years has been one surprise after another surprise after another surprise. Maybe this is a little too honest, but um, <laughs> it might help you. I can think of two or three occasions where I've prayed for physical healing in someone where I felt like I had faith for it. I can't even begin to give you the list of physical healings I have witnessed while I prayed for people. It's like it's just most of the time I'm as surprised as they are. Faith is a choice, not a feeling. Faith is what we stand on. My faith in God to do supernatural things isn't when I'm back here about to pray for somebody. Because usually at that moment, it's not present. My faith in God's ability to do supernatural things with and through me is activated when I say, I, I don't know how I'm feeling right now, but I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for this. Who's qualified? The one who says yes. The one who says yes. Because he invites every single one of you. And all he requires of you is to say yes. Now here's the thing. We are absolutely commissioned to the impossible. And I'll finish with this. But there's this last little line that Jesus says after teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He says, and know this. I will be with you forever. His expectation, this is going to take a while. That as we say yes to a life that is ordered around the impossible, that doesn't mean every day feels like an adrenaline-fueled roller coaster of miracles. In fact, often it's figuring out how to steward the disappointment in our hearts before the Lord as we continue to move forward. That he says, as you go after this thing, as you continue to give me your yes, after your yes, after your yes, after your yes, it's in that context that my presence will be available to you forever. I will be with you forever as long as you give me your yes. It's one of the reasons why we often, in pastoral ministry, when people are like, Andy, I feel like God is so absent. And my question is, what was your last yes? Not in any spirit of judgment. But if your last yes was a while ago, then the fastest way for you to experience the presence of Jesus is give him your yes again. Give him your yes again. If you're able, you stand. Claire, why don't you and the band come back up?
two things that I would love to um, impart to you today in the context of this fascinating commission to live the way of Jesus. Two things are passion and patience. We, we typically make those a dichotomy that the on-fire teenagers, they have all the passion. And uh, being around the block a day or two, older folk among us, well, we, we have the patience. We know this can sometimes take a while. But the problem is often as our patience grows, our passion wanes. And sometimes as our patience grows, or as our passion grows, our patience wanes. And the secret to this thing is being able to hold those things together with equal importance. That we won't allow our patience to dim our passion. And we won't allow our passion to throw off our patience. But as we hold passion and patience together, we get to move forward into the plans and purposes of Jesus. I just wonder, maybe today, some of you are going, my passion feels dumb. I just, I'm here, I'm in. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. But my passion is just, my passion's just dry. Maybe for some of you, prayed with a young man after the 9.30 this morning, it's, it's like, God, I just, I just need to be at this and I feel like my life is getting in the way and I'm not sure what to do and this feels confusing. And actually, it's the hand of the Lord to just say, shh, patience. These things are supposed to be worked out over lifetimes, not years. Lifetimes. So if you want to respond to either of those things or anything else, why don't you just close your eyes and open your hands? Just open your hands. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you increase our awareness of your presence? Speak to hearts that where the passion has faded, come alive. I bless you with new, vibrant, abundant life in Jesus. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine upon you. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you impart to us holy patience? Not cynical patience, not sat down patience, but patience that's fascinated with you, burning with passion. <laughs> 
the readiness to move towards you when you say go. Before we worship, um, just for any of you that have um, just a physical health need, um, would you just put your hand over your heart just for a second? Something, something going on in your body right now that you just know you need healing. Jesus' name. Break a spirit of affliction off you in the power of Jesus. Healing, come. take authority over sickness and we release the order of heaven. Speak to respiratory issues, be healed. Send somebody here with a right shoulder problem. Um, God's just touching that right now. Be healed in Jesus' name. blood pressure be healed in Jesus name and may the peace of the resurrected ruling Lord Jesus guard your hearts and your minds speak to those of you who are battling mental health anxiety and depression would you know the peace of Jesus bless you with peace Finally, Lord, we want to say yes. We want to say yes. Just encourage you where you are to just, just gently and quietly, but just to say the word yes. That our impulse is to disqualify ourselves, but he says, I choose you. And so, Lord, we say yes. We want to follow you. We say yes to the impossible things of your kingdom. We say yes to the things that scare us. We say yes to the things that we don't feel like we've enough faith for. We say yes, Jesus. Thank you, God. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk